This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. And, uh, what I do want to talk about, though, off the top in this hour is uh, maybe of much more importance to our daily lives. Where Alberta's economy is at, where Alberta's economy is going. There's an expectation, I think, in a lot of ways, that 2017 is going to be a bit of a turnaround year. We've had a couple of years of largely negative growth, due in large part, obviously, to to the drop in the price of oil. So what's happening now? Are we starting to see a turnaround? How do we measure whether there is a turnaround? How do we measure whether the worst is over? An interesting piece up at mclean's.ca today exploring that very question. Joining us uh, is the author of that piece, Trevor Toome, who's an assistant professor of economics at the U of C and also a research fellow at the School of Public Policy. Trevor, good to talk to you as always. Welcome back to the show. Great to be here. Thanks. All right. So as to that fundamental question, what are the benchmarks that we should be looking at to, to determine whether or not things are starting to turn around? Well, for a typical country, when you think about whether it's in a recession or out, you look to a measure like GDP or like employment. And if the economy is shrinking, then you're in a recession. And you mark the point at which the recovery begins once GDP and employment start to grow. At the province level, though, it's a little trickier since we don't have monthly uh, or even quarterly GDP numbers for Alberta. So we have to look at things like employment, manufacturing sales, retail sales, wholesale trade. Or for a province like Alberta, it's important to look at oil and gas activity and oil and gas investment and things of that nature. And uh, you know, looking at all those different measures, it does seem to be that the recession ended uh, either last summer or in the fall, somewhere in the third or maybe fourth quarter of last year, and that the recovery um, may have begun. Certainly a lot of private sector forecasts, Bank of Canada as well, expect that 2017 will be one of growth. And if we look to oil and gas activity, we are seeing, I think, a pretty uh, stark uh, turnaround from where things were this time last year, for example. So drilling activity is what I take a look at in the piece up on McLean's. Uh, And it's up sharply from where it was this time last year. You have to go back to early 2015 to find as many active drilling rigs in Alberta as there are right now. Well, and you also tweeted out a graph today um, pointing out that Alberta oil production, this is uh, November, as we have the latest data for, Mm 3.32 million barrels per day. This is an all-time high. Is is that uh, a positive indicator then? Yeah, absolutely. It's positive in a number of ways, not just because it does suggest that there may be increased employment in oil and gas, in particular support activities, but it's good news for the Alberta budget as well as the price of oil increases, but also as the number of barrels that we produce increases that will translate into higher royalty revenues for the provincial government. Well, I mean, the price of oil obviously matters. It matters a lot. The price of oil is is something that we can track on a daily basis, even an hourly basis, I guess, if you really want to. Um, So how key is that? Yeah, that's absolutely critical. I mean, imagine you're an oil and gas firm trying to decide whether or not to go forward with what is sometimes hundreds of millions or billion of uh, dollar investment into uh, a new oil sands facility or an expand, expansion of an existing one. So it's not only the price of oil today that matters, but also what you think the price of oil will be in the future. So up until now, there's been quite a bit of uncertainty around what that price is going to do. You know, we saw lots of volatility uh, over the last year and a half 
or so, but it, it's looking right now to be like uh, oil prices have found a little bit of stability and maybe within that 50 to maybe $60 range for the foreseeable future. Uh, most forecasts do point in that direction and the markets as well, what are called futures prices, where you buy and sell oil in the future, all seem to point to oil being in that uh, low to mid 50 range for the foreseeable future. So I think that brings a lot of confidence back to uh, oil sands and oil and gas activity investment generally. Well, let's get into the the murky and controversial realm of of government policy and and whether governments get too much blame and too much credit. And the opposition would would heap a lot of blame on on the government for uh, shaking investor confidence, scaring away investment. Conversely, I think the government's inclined to pat itself on the back for a lot of the steps it's taken, including not raising royalties, some of these drilling incentives. So where does the truth lie? Well, so this is certainly not new. Governments claim credit for good news and opposition blames it for bad in in every aspect of uh, public policy. And the truth is definitely somewhere in between. And so here for oil and gas, last week we saw the government of Alberta host an event marking the one-year anniversary of the royalty review and noting that drilling activity uh, was up substantially now relative to this time last year and credits. Uh, in part, the new royalty regime. And and so that, the, the royalty review did change the structure in a way that was beneficial for new conventional uh, oil and gas activity in Alberta. So it effectively lowered the tax rate that's implied for each dollar of new investment. And so it, it's probably going to be a positive, but it's really hard to tell right now. It's still quite quite early. We could look to Saskatchewan, for example, where there was no royalty review and see what drilling activity there is doing. And it looks like Alberta and Saskatchewan activity really just tracks each other very, very closely. Saskatchewan is up now uh, by about the same magnitude as it is in Alberta, and it was down in 2015 and 16 by about the same magnitude in Alberta. And so the two economies really do move quite closely together. So I think it has less to do with policy changes than it does uh, have to do with the oil price. Well, and it was interesting. That was one graph that stood out to me just reading through your piece because I, I think there's been a, a perception created that Saskatchewan's been doing a lot better than Alberta as of late. But is it, did you see any evidence indicating that that's actually the case? So certainly not in drilling rigs uh, and drilling rig activities. So what I do there is just kind of plot. Just, we'll just look since 2012. We'll look at the changes in drilling activity uh, one year to the next between Alberta and Saskatchewan. And they just track each other very closely. They wiggle around each other. Sometimes one's higher than the other, sometimes the reverse, but they're very clearly moving together. And and that's not surprising if we think that the the dominant factor behind oil and gas activity and investment decisions is the price of oil uh, rather than tweaks to government policy around the edges. What's interesting, when we look at um, what's described as the marginal effective tax and royalty rate on new investments, so combining all of that, and you plot it out, looking at where Alberta's at, where BC is at, where Saskatchewan's at, even where Texas is at, does Alberta remain fairly competitive? Yeah, uh, so on this measure, this is something constructed by my colleague here at the University of Calgary, Jack Mintz, which many people may be familiar with. He's one of Canada's foremost tax economists and a frequent commentator on these uh, these types of issues. So what he calculates is basically what the implied 
tax rate is on each new dollar invested in oil and gas. And prior to the royalty review, for conventional oil in Alberta, that was about 35%. Uh, today, it's much lower at about 27%. Uh, so you invest a dollar, uh, 27% of that is implicitly eliminated through the tax and, and royalty system. And so if we compare that to Saskatchewan, uh, the comparable rate there is about 33%. So that marginal tax rate is lower here now than in BC, lower than in Saskatchewan, lower than Texas. And so by this measure, Alberta is quite a bit more competitive. Now, importantly, that doesn't mean we're taking less in terms of the amount of royalties we collect or in terms of what the government is getting out of the value of Alberta's oil. We're just collecting it in a more efficient way or a way that doesn't distort investment decisions as badly as, it, as in other jurisdictions. Right. And, but I think that might come as a surprise to people. I know, that, you know, the government wisely left royalties alone and maybe even made some some positive changes, but there has been an increase in, in the corporate tax rate. There is now, of course, uh, the, the carbon tax and everything associated with it that's that's going into effect. So there's a perception that we've become less competitive in that in that area. Yeah, and, and increasing the corporate income tax rate did increase this marginal effective tax and royalty rate by about the two percentage point increase in the corporate income tax rate. And so the reduction that I just described was really predominantly driven by the change in the, the way in which we calculate royalties for conventional oil and gas activity. Can we factor in, and we've talked before about the impact of, of the carbon tax, and we look at the, the levy that uh, major producers are going to be paying and what kind of an impact that might have on investment in Alberta this year. Is, is the impact clear at this point? Well, so that is a very important and still open question. So the, the carbon price that will be levied on large emitters is something that's separate from the carbon tax right. that we all saw kick in in January 1st. And the details around how they're going to structure that haven't been laid out in legislation yet. So an important component of what they plan to do is to not just price emissions of $30 a ton, but also take the vast majority of that revenue and give it back to large emitters in the form of basically a subsidy on their output. And how big that subsidy is per barrel, for example, uh, will be critical in terms of evaluating the overall competitiveness effect of the plan. But we don't yet know enough details to say for sure. But if they follow closely uh, what Andrew Leach recommended in his report, then the overall effect on oil and gas costs will be fairly small at about 50 cents a barrel. Okay. There, there's also, well, I, maybe this won't have much of an effect in, in the short term because I don't think we're we're yet near 100 uh, megatons, but there is the, the emissions cap that's going to apply to the oil sands and the government's mm-hmm. still sorting out how that's going to be implemented. Is that another area where the impact's not immediately clear? Yeah. So the, the cap doesn't look like it's in any way going to bind based on what the forecast production are. Uh, between now and, say, 2030, or even as far out as 2040, depending on how you think technology will evolve in um, uh, oil sands facilities. And so I don't think it's really an immediate concern at all or something that's really factoring into firm investment decisions. What I think the cap, uh, I I don't think it's smart policy. I think it's going to create some hassle if we keep it and as we approach it. But right now we're so far behind the cap and and so many years away from it even plausibly being a factor 
um, th- that uh, you know this is this is a conversation for another day. I kind of hope that it is eliminated, or if it's kept, we simply allow firms to buy offsets at the price of emissions. You know, if a firm could buy an offset for every ton that it goes above the cap by. And if that price was set at the $30 a ton or whatever the carbon price is at the time, then the cap is basically just um, a marketing ploy, not actually binding in any way. Interesting. So, you know, that we, we will have to wait to see how things uh, work out over the next two decades or so. All right. Well, people can read your piece in the meantime. Uh, it's a lot of inf- interesting information. McLean's.ca. Trevor, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Trevor Toom, uh, Assistant Professor of Economics, University of Calgary, Research Fellow at the School of Public Policy at the U of C. Uh, so his piece today, looking at, at where things are at in Alberta uh, and just pulling together the data and what it tells us. As he said earlier, oil price, obviously we are, we're all aware, big, big factor. There seems to be maybe some stability on that front this year. Uh, a lot of forecasts expect oil prices to remain in the 50 to $60 range. Uh, so it could be a lot better, but as we all know, it could be a lot worse. Uh, but goes through some of the numbers on drilling rigs in Alberta. Uh, looks at the year-to-year, year-over-year change in drilling rigs, which is interesting, plotting that alongside Saskatchewan. And you were pretty much, as he says, in lockstep with Saskatchewan on that front. As he points out, and this is an important point, he writes, we cannot know what the true counterfactual, that is, what the number of Alberta rigs would have been absent policy changes. This comparison suggests that oil prices, not policy, is the dominant influence on the sector's activity. The new royalty regime was an important improvement. There is likely going to be an overall positive effect. But it's just too soon to know by how much. While governments are quick to claim credit for good news and opposition quick to blame the government for bad, neither paints the complete picture. Politics aside, we can hopefully all agree to welcome the signs of rising optimism in Alberta and to hope our long road to recovery is a smooth one. Right, And that's fair to say. That doesn't let the government off the hook. That doesn't absolve the government of bad policy decisions. But obviously, we hope that 2017 is a turnaround year. I think that's the danger, though, the opposition blaming all of it on the government. Once you say everything bad happening in Alberta is on them, well, obviously, if things do start to turn around, you've created an opportunity for the government to claim credit for all of it. And that's certainly not going to be the case. What's going to be the argument if the economy grows this year and if 2018 is an even better year? And going into 2019, the NDP are running around bragging about two years of growth. Is that on them? Well, you're you're allowing them to claim that it is by suggesting that they, they bear responsibility for all the bad. But it is an important point about the counterfactual. Maybe, maybe things would be even better today had a different party formed government in 2015. And certainly maybe had the uh, NDP lived up to their previous rhetoric and gone ahead and raised royalties, maybe things would be a heck of a lot worse sitting here today than they are. Anyway, 403-974-8255 is our number, 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.